This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and you're listening to this podcast, which is a part of the Inside Carolina Podcast Network. On today's episode, I'm joined by my fellow Carolina football letterman, Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson, to talk about Carolina's win against Duke that puts the Tar Heels back to 500 in conference play. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could want. T-shirts, jerseys, hats, you name it, they probably have it. It's great people, great customer service, since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. If you're going to be in Chapel Hill, make sure you stop by Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. And don't forget, Inside Carolina subscribers get 10% off their orders. All right, as promised, it's Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson. Guys, Carolina back in the win column. The Tar Heels beat Duke 38 to 7. The victory bell staying in Chapel Hill for at least another year. Mike, what were your biggest takeaways from this game? Um, We have three victories that are all blowouts and all at home. We have two victories that are both embarrassing and both, or two losses that are both embarrassing and both on the road. And we need to figure out how to win on the road. Um, But positivity pod. We're one and zero on the new season. They run the table. They'll probably end up in the ACC championship game in spite of themselves. They won't end up in the playoff, but they'll probably end up in the ACC championship game. So they're one and zero on their trip to ten and zero for the end of the season, or excuse me, eight and zero by the end of the season. So you know if they end up winning out, they've got a shot. Uh, Notre Dame looked beatable. Um, they looked like a much better team than I think they showed up against with Cincinnati um, earlier in the season. I think Notre Dame will be prepared to play that game, particularly since it's at home, but it is, you know, uh, I guess side note, Cincinnati must be for real. Luke Fickle's got them humming. I didn't Mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, I I was, I'm always hesitant of group of five schools, you know, mid-major schools, but Cincinnati's got it rolling. It's hard to go into South Bend and win, but hopefully Carolina can be the second team that goes into South Bend and wins this year. But that's getting way ahead of ourselves because we got a, you know, regardless of what anybody says, we got a tough one against Florida State coming up next week. So the good news is that we're one and zero. We're going into Florida State on a one-game winning streak, um, you know, and we did some good things and some bad things against, um, did some good things and bad things this weekend against Duke, and we got a lot of things to clean up. We have to find an offensive line. We'll talk about that. Uh, for some reason, we don't have one yet. We're still experimenting five games in, but that's the positive. Um, we did enough things to win and win big. 
got some help from the defense. EJ, I'm sure we'll talk about that. And, uh, you know, overall, good feeling on a Sunday, but still a little bit uneasy going into Florida State. Yeah, and I think when you're looking at this future schedule for Carolina with that 1-0 mindset every week, the, the toughest games remaining, it's like Notre Dame, Wake Forest, Pitt, and then if you're just looking at the goal of trying to get back to the ACC championship since the playoff is so far out of reach, the Notre Dame game, not a conference game. The Wake Forest game, not a conference game. So even if Carolina finds ways to trip up in those games, it wouldn't be as big as, say, losing to a Miami or losing to a Pitt where you have more of these tangible goals for at least the time being um, still in reach when you're just you're just watching Virginia Tech and you're watching uh, Georgia Tech just trying to see if they can get to three conference losses uh, in those tiebreaker scenarios. But EJ, what about you? What were your biggest takeaways from this game? I'm bringing the positivity today on, on like, like some, like a sincere positivity is what I have today because that defense that we saw out there yesterday, I mean, I really, I find it hard to find negatives and, and the negatives I have are on two plays. So starting off with my takeaways is that we don't start out the games and have fast and strong like we need to. Okay, we're giving up a 37-yard run, I mean, to a capable running back, but still it's a 37-yard run. And then to open up the half, we give up an 80-yard touchdown, which I mean, and then but but from both of those plays, I am encouraged because we bounce back and we're pretty much a staunch defense all day. We were a swarming defense. This really looks like the defense that that I played on where we didn't run to the ball that we were going to be penalized heavily. And that's all you saw on the little swing uh, screen passes they had you saw five or six guys around him I mean I was even pointing out to my wife that Ravel Hasek is making plays out on the outside and I hope that the Seattle Seahawks draft him because that's the type of stuff that you want to see on the next level I mean not only is he a constant force in the backfield but when you have a guy that big that's chasing down plays and he can really affect things outside of the tackle box then that's when he really becomes a special player he's getting held like crazy too yesterday oh getting held all day and I think our whole defensive line was but let's Let's talk about Mr. Miles Murphy. When I tell you that our defensive line was exploding off of the ball yesterday, but Miles Murphy really showed me something. I think this kid's going to be a superstar. I know we, we, we talked after the first game that I was saying we need more from him. The coaching staff was hyping him up, but I saw exactly what they were talking about yesterday. I mean, he was constantly in the backfield making plays. He was a constant force in pass rush. And I mean, everybody else. The, the, my third takeaway is that we need to find a way to convince our defense that they're playing at home every game, because that seems the only way that we really get all the things that we need to see. I mean, I saw form tackles. I saw guys, I, I saw um, the quarterback. Um, it was, I think it was like a third and three run. And then um, we got um, Trey Morrison coming up and making one of the best tackles, but best square up open field tackles that I've ever seen. So I, I didn't really see any of those old issues that we had. So it looks like this defense is progressing, but then again, we have to see this team on the road. And honestly, we need to see them against some better competition to really believe, is this the real Carolina defense? I, I want to believe that it's the real Carolina defense because what I saw yesterday got me excited. And I mean, I woke up excited to even more excited to do this pod today simply because of what I saw. And I mean, it's, it's, I'm not talking about lack of effort. I'm not talking about lack of physicality and I'm not talking about lack of swarming on defense. So, or lack or, or missed tackles. I'm, I'm very, very happy and pleased with what we saw from our defensive unit yesterday. Yeah. Carolina was able to kind of keep Duke at arm's length this entire game. It, it really never felt like Duke could win that game. Um, because of the lack of talent they had and the way the defense came out. But I think my biggest takeaway would be with the offense where 
it doesn't feel like this this team understands the personnel that it's playing with. It feels like they're still trying to play like they have Javante and Michael Carter in the backfield and then wide receivers like Deami Brown and Daz Newsome where it's a lot of slow developing routes and it's it's an offensive line that they're already shaky in situations and it feels like you just keep putting them in situations where they're not going to do well. You have a quarterback in Sam Howell who's internal clock I'll talk about later um, with Mike it, it feels like it's already broken at this point and it's just situations where it feels like they keep putting them um, in bad situations the offense punted seven of its first 10 possessions and when they did start to figure it out late in the game it was because they went to the quick passing game which is something where I think if if this Carolina team commits to the quick passing game this team could reach its potential offensively when you're hiding the deficiencies uh, around your offense. Like last year, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, they were able to hide basically every deficiency this offense had. They're, they have to find that way to do it this year. And I think it is going to the quick passing game because right now when, when you hear Mac Brown talk about frustrations, about not changing the game plan, it's, it's things like that where Carolina – just keeps going to the same thing. It's like the definition of insanity when you just keep trying the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. This offensive line is struggles in, in pass blocking at times. You pair that with a quarterback that struggles with holding on to the ball too long, pair that with wide receivers that are struggling to create separation. And I think it's, it's putting the team in, in worse situations and not really maximizing um, what they could do best. But EJ, you mentioned it, the defense, they won the day. No secret that Duke Duke doesn't bring the most talented of teams to Chapel Hill, but you can't control who's on your schedule. They win the day. Jaquarius Conley moved back to Nickelback for the game. What kind of impact do you think that had for the defense when you get a player like JQ closer to the ball and just kind of so, so in, in close to the line of scrimmage and where he's more of a factor in basically every play. I think this is something, I think that was a great move by our coaching staff. I mean, we've been talking over these last few weeks about how Jaquarius has just been all over the field and he really looks like NFL talent out there on the field. Well, what do you do when you have talent like that? You get them closer and closer to the ball where they can impact more plays. I mean, we saw him on the end of the line of scrimmage just pretty much locking it down on the run. It's like I'm seeing him in the backfield over the first and making plays at the line of scrimmage. And I'm like, oh, are we really sending him that much? And then I actually, once I paused it and looked at it, I'm like, oh, he he's playing in the, he, he, he's playing in the nickel and and and, and like you, you kind of notice things without me knowing that he was out there you're hearing the commentators and I'm even noticing Carolina's defenders are, are locking up these guys they're playing man defense they're playing press coverage bump and run and I think that he brought that physicality I think that we handling handling his lunch handling his responsibilities and he's able to make impact because he's able to freestyle a little bit he doesn't have as many responsibilities or worried about being the last line of defense so he can come up and make those run plays he can be an extra extra line of defense and extra line of support to the point where, I mean, we're playing a base defense, but we have so many guys around the line of scrimmage. It seems like we're sending pressures and we're sending heat. But I mean, I think that was a big impact and I really would like to see, um, I really would like to see this kind of go on for the rest of the season. But I think that we were able to do that because of the way that Trey Morrison and Cam Kelly played yesterday. I mean, those, both of those guys had out, had outstanding games. I mean, especially Cam Kelly. I mean, with some of the open field tackles he made, I mean, that interception he made was one of the, 
the best plays I think we've seen uh, from this Carolina defensive team in a long time. So I really, I, I mean, we're, we're seeing his impact more than just what he's doing. Everybody around him is feeding off of his energy and his physicality and is really carrying over everything. I mean, Jeremiah Gimmel was out there. He, he was out there laying the wood yesterday. I mean, er, everybody really was. So I think he's really, Jeremiah is, is our guy. He's been the, the mainstay on that defense over the last few years. But I really think that Jaquarius Conley, he's, he's setting the tempo for our defense right now. And the more he flies around and is having fun is making plays, it's going to just trickle down to everybody else on the defense. And I think, like you mentioned, yeah, we weren't playing a top-tier team yesterday, but we, we we held on to our responsibilities. We controlled what we could control by playing physical, constantly being in their backfield, having great coverage on their wide receivers. And, I mean, yeah, for, for a while, okay, the, the, the Air Force has shown up by stopping the air game, but where's the Army and the Cavalry to stop the run game? But, I mean, I think we kind of got that um, nailed down in the second half. But, I mean, him being up close to the line of scrimmage can only be a benefit to our defense, especially if we're going to play good coverage behind him. EJ, yeah. did, you see any, did, did you have a chance to put eyes on Giovanni Biggers yesterday? Did you see – what did you see out of him? I, I I saw a, a player that I mean I mean he he's wearing that number I mean when I saw that number yeah. I was like hmm reminds me of another guy I saw yeah. out there but another another pretty good safety yeah yeah no, no, another pretty good guy so I mean no he was he was flying around he was really he was really solid in playing that and I think seeing him. Um, produce and play like he did yesterday is going to have the coaching staff a little bit more confidence to be able to move Jaquarius around in that defense. But I mean, everything I saw from him was was solid. I'm not going to sit here and say he played a great game, but would, is he good enough to be a starting safety on our defense and develop more? Yes, I do think he is. So I'm really happy about what, I, what I'm seeing from the development of some of these guys, uh, not only Biggers, but guys like Kimon Rucker, guys like uh, Kevin Hester. These guys are really starting to come along now. Yeah. yeah and I I, I, go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead, Taylor. No, yeah, I was going to say, I, we had um, – it was garbage time, but what I will say is I hope we can keep them both around. Uh, Power Eccles and Ra-Ra Dilworth back there at linebacker looked like – that was like a big-time defense with those two dudes. Stand. I mean, oh, yeah. you, know, you want to talk about, like, getting off the bus, passing the look test? Those guys mm -hmm. passed the look test. Yeah. I mean, just standing there in their uniforms, like, those look like real big-time linebackers. And then I saw them both making some plays there in garbage time. Yes, sir. You know, when, when plays had to be made, I mean, they were they were stopping runs for no gain or, you know, or a loss. I saw Power Eccles, um, Power Eccles hit a lane at one point. Um, I think it might have been a swing pass, um, mm -hmm. but he went ahead. I mean, he ran sideline to sideline and took that play out like a missile, kind of like what we saw Jaquarius Conley doing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, last year in the Florida State game and in the Orange Bowl, you know, hitting the hitting those those pursuit angles and hitting those pursuit lanes and taking guys out a yard or two behind the line of scrimmage where if he's not the guy making that play they might get a five or six yard gain so that was exactly. that was encouraging to see from those young guys i hope we're able to find a way to get them on the field but i will tell you that from the linebacker spot if there are any young linebackers or parents of young linebackers listening to this podcast uh pull up as much jeremiah blitz jeremiah gimmel blitzing film as you possibly can and show mm -hmm. it to your young linebacker because if you want to see what blitzing with a purpose looks like, it's Jeremiah Gimmel. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, just because he doesn't get home on every single blitz doesn't mean his blitz wasn't effective. He's blowing up backside pass protectors, like running backs. He's blowing up uh, popping guards and things like that. You know, guys are a little off balance, and he's creating havoc and mess and trash in the backfield back in the pocket that's allowing our defensive line to get pressure, which doesn't always result in a sack, but a lot of times yesterday it did result in uh, disrupted pass plays and disrupted throws. So Jeremiah Gimmel as a blitzer is a textbook blitzer. So Fig needs some credit for that. I think he picked up some of that stuff from Chaz Surratt too, because Chaz Surratt was a mean blitzer too.
Yeah, I think with with those points everybody kind of just made, I'll try to try to hit on everyone. The first one, Jeremiah Gimmel. I don't think he gets the the credit and the recognition he kind of deserves from uh, the fan base because, like you mentioned, Mike, it it doesn't always get home. It's it's not always something that shows up on the stat sheet. But in terms of overall importance, I think Jeremiah Gemmel is is the guy for this Carolina defense. He's the kind of the uh, the straw that stirs the drink. Um, Jaquarius Conley, I think moving him closer to the ball, it's it's a move where they moved him to safety because they thought it was best for his long term, the NFL future. But right now for this team, putting him as close to the ball as possible is is what's going to work best. You know, it, it would be interesting to see if like they could get even more creative and, you know, rotate him in at linebacker because he he has the size where you pair him next to a guy like Jeremiah Gemmel. Maybe you maybe you find somebody else at nickel or, you know, you keep him at nickel. You put a guy like Ra Ra Dilworth at that other linebacker spot at times in certain packages where you have Gemmel. Uh, Ra Ra, you have Power Eccles to rotate in, you have Cedric Gray, you have Eugene Asante, and all of a sudden you're starting to see this depth for, for Carolina. And I think the, the biggest thing to think about for the defense where they are improving on a week-to-week basis that this time last year you have guys like Jaquarius Conley, Tony Grimes, Miles Murphy who were playing single-digit snaps at this time last year. And now they're three of the most important players for this Carolina defense. So I think under Jay Bateman, you've seen um, a formula where as the season goes on, he's going to trust more and more players. And when you have the players that he has kind of uh, in the in the wings waiting, it's a lot of talented guys. And you saw that last year with JQ, with Tony Grimes, with Miles Murphy. And it looks like Power Eccles and Ra Ra Dilworth are kind of the the next in line for for that significant boost in playing time but mike offensive line you specialize in the offensive line talk mac brown he basically confirmed that uh q johnson and brian anderson in his post-game press conference are playing her carolina this week they had every lineman practicing snapping the football to try to find a center caden baker was the one who won the contest have you ever seen a move like that where a team is trying to find anything that sticks this late into the season where five, I guess you were four games in and you're, you're basically holding open tryouts at practice to see uh, who's going to, who's going to be a center for you that week. Uh, I mean, we've had depth issues um, on lines that I played on. I mean, at one point we had tank Scott Lenahan, um, who towards the end of his career was, was hurt pretty frequently, but was our guy. He was our Brian Anderson. He was the guy that we trusted. If he was healthy and he could go, he was the guy that was going to go. But we also had Lowell Dyer, who was a you know former walk-on, recent scholarship player playing center, a lot like Q Johnson. Um, you know, and then we had a third guy. We had Aaron Stahl who could come in. Stahl could play center if we needed him to. And he was a guard by trade, but he could also play center. You know, we rotated a lot of guys in there. Um, very early in my Carolina career, I was told I'm, I was going to be a center, which I fought tooth and nail because a 250-pound tight end snapping the ball with a 300-pound nose tackle over my face didn't sound like the – when I had Shelton Bynum breathing down my, breathing down my, 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 my chin, I didn't have uh, a lot of confidence in myself to get that job done. I later found out that my coaches absolutely knew what they were talking about and center was actually my natural position many, many moons later, but all that to say, yes, I've seen, 
hodgepodge. I've experienced hodgepodge lines where in the middle of the week, you're sitting there still trying to figure out who can go and who can't go. Uh, what I will say is uh, a shout out to Brian Anderson. Uh, and, and I, I don't know if Q is doing this. I don't know if other players are doing this. All I, all I know is what I could see on the TV copy. And what I saw on the TV copy was before one of the units was going out on offense or standing on the sidelines or come out of the TV timeout and they're about to take the field. Brian Anderson's sitting there smacking every guy on the helmet, um, smacks Q Johnson on the helmet, you know, encouraging guys. And he's clearly not about to roll out there with that group. Um, but he was positive. There's I'd have Brian Anderson on the field under, under most, if not all circumstances, because what he might be struggling with physically that's affecting his play, he makes up for in a leadership component. Now, there is clearly something wrong with him physically. Something is ailing him. I don't know what it is. I'm not in that locker room. I'm not in that training room. I'm not in that position room. But what I can say is he, he is playing uncharacteristic from what I've seen him do in the past. Last year, I thought this was a guy who was a, a staple, a rock, once in a while would make a mistake. You know, maybe it's a big mistake. Maybe it's not a big mistake. Typically was not a fatal type of mistake. He typically wasn't the guy making the, making the mistake that would kill a play. Uh, but this year he has, some of that has taken a step back and I don't think it's an ability issue. I don't think it's a development issue for him. I don't think it's a knowing what he's supposed to do issue. It has clearly got to be a physical ailment issue. He's got to be hurt. So I believe Mac, when he says that he's hurt Q Johnson, same thing with the rotation yesterday, I was surprised if, uh, at one point, we saw Caden Baker go out there before Q, and I was thinking, why isn't Q going out with this second group? Because Brian obviously started the game at center. Caden Baker goes out with the twos instead of Q. I didn't understand you know, what had maybe transpired that week during practice or what have you, but apparently Q is also playing hurt. So we have an injury bug at the center spot, and that's not great, um, particularly for an offensive line that's been leaky already this year. And leaky, I think, is being very diplomatic about it. Um, it's been frustrating in a holistic, you know, from a holistic standpoint, it's been very frustrating to watch an offensive line that I thought from a pass protection standpoint was very good last year to watch that offensive line come back man for man across the board and look, I mean, without pulling punches here, terrible in pass protection. Some of that is Sam holding the ball too long, but now what we've got, which you alluded to, you're going to get to here in a little bit. We've got an internal clock problem with the quarterback where he doesn't even trust his own timing because he's worried. And we saw this yesterday. Sam is one of the best deep ball throwers in the country. That's why he's so high on everybody's boards. It's why NFL scouts are salivating over him because he throws such a, such an accurate catchable deep ball. He overshot several receivers yesterday on easy pitches and catches. And the reason for that, I, I have to assume, is that his point of release was, was early. And the reason he was releasing early was because he assumed, I'm going to get hit a half a second before he was actually going to get hit because he had guys in his face all day long. Uh, but we're, you know, we're still making the same mistakes in pass protection that we're making earlier in the year, no matter what combination of guys we have. Um, and at this point, you'd think we'd have enough combination of guys. They'd be able to handle be They would be comfortable enough with each other and have played together enough to be able to handle things like basic twist games. Duke twisted us like crazy yesterday, mostly inside, but we also saw some issues with our tackles passing off twists with the guards. I mean, our offensive line, and I said this to EJ and some other folks yesterday, kind of on the fly, our offensive line couldn't pass off COVID in a nursing home yesterday. I mean, it was bad news that no one could seem to pass off a twisting defensive lineman. 
I don't know what was going on. I don't know. I don't know why they were struggling so bad. I can tell you from a technique standpoint why they were struggling, but I don't know why they haven't put that together and fixed that problem. My concern is you've got Florida State coming in. You've got Miami on the schedule. You've got a good Wake Forest team defensively coming in. And obviously you've got Notre Dame. This is your next four weeks. And every single one of those teams has more talent on the defensive line than Duke did from a sheer ability standpoint. And those defensive coordinators are watching the same film that all that, that, that Duke's defensive coordinator watched, that Georgia Tech's defensive coordinator watched, and that every defensive coordinator for the rest of the season is going to watch on Carolina. And what they're going to do is they're going to blitz and they're going to bring twists and they're going to bring twits bliss combinations against this offensive line because they know that we can't pick it up. We haven't shown an ability to be able to pick it up. This is what I was talking about. You know, the, the false sense of security after the Virginia game, they ran very vanilla fronts. They didn't twist us much. They didn't blitz us much. We looked really good. We could handle that for the most part, not all the time, but for the most part, we could handle our individual assignments. When you get a team that's going to have to out scheme you because they don't feel like they're as good as you are from a talent standpoint. That's why defensive lines twist. Most of the time, they feel like they have to beat you with scheme. They can't beat you with talent. When you get a team like a Florida state who, you know, has the recruiting talent and they have a defensive coordinator that's going to be able to implement that scheme with that talent. You're going to have a long, it's going to be a long day. So Florida state having to win their first game off of a last second field goal, um, you know, being one and being one in forever on their record coming in here. I, I am concerned that we're going to have a rough day against Florida state again, like we did last year. I'm concerned we're going to have a rough day against Miami and wake forest and Notre Dame, you know, in the weeks to come uh, just because I, I haven't seen us show an ability to pass off twist games. I haven't shown an ability. I, our offensive line hasn't shown an ability to adjust week to week and shut this thing down. That is clearly a problem. I understand guys have injuries. I understand guys are playing against guys. They don't typically play next to, there might be a cohesion issue, but at some point you've all been playing together now for three, four, five years. Okay. With these super duper seniors we've got. Um, even the young guys, you've been practicing together because guys have been hurt. So you're rotating in, you're playing different groups. You all have to have a comfort level with each other at this point to be able to pass off a twist. So the, 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 the number one concern for Carolina moving forward, at least for this coming week in the immediate future, and then this week in practice with the offensive line should be, how do we pass off basic twists? And how do we keep from getting beat on basic twists? And that should be the focal point. There shouldn't be anything else going on this week for them. The run game got a little stymied. You know, they've got their own issues in the running game, but you have a Heisman caliber quarterback back there that's terrified to throw the ball. The other thing Phil Longo can do to help this offensive line and to help Sam Howell is to move the pocket. I haven't seen that happen one time all year. I don't, this is basic stuff, man. Like, like I'm not a division one offensive coordinator. I'm not getting paid a million bucks to run this offense, but I can figure out pretty quickly, like just move the pocket a couple of times, get Sam out in space because he's pretty good when he gets on the move and gets out in space. But you can tell Sam's only, he, he either thinks he's only allowed to, or he's only comfortable moving vertically North South in that pocket. You don't see him break out and try to hit the perimeter very often. But when he does, he can be effective throwing the football. We need to have some designed rollouts for this kid. And you can do it out of the RPO package. You can do it out of the shotgun. You can do it out of our basic formations. you got to get things in place to help Sam because the offensive line isn't doing it. And you got to get things in place this week in practice to help that offensive line in the long run to help Sam. 
Number one, it starts with picking up twists. And number two, schematically, we need to start moving that pocket a little bit and change the launch angle for him. Yeah, the the moving the pocket goes back to that first point that I was making where it's like this team has to play to its personnel right now where it's like uh, I guess the best comparison would be in the NFL right now where you're seeing the Chicago Bears trot out there with Justin Fields and Dan Orlovsky's calling what Matt Nagy's doing out there, just, uh, just an embarrassment. And, um, and I love, and, I love Dan. I love Dan. He is, he is, yeah. he is, and always was a very aggressive guy. Yeah. Very blunt, but, but it's like, you have, these are still four high three-star players. They're, they're talented division one college football players. There's ways to, make their skill set work and at times this Carolina offense feels like it's trying to fit like a square into a circle where it's like this this isn't going to work and the more you try it it's it's just continuing to prove that it's not going to work and there are situations where you might have to be a little more creative and kind of shift some things around that you normally would do but and I think that's why people are so harsh in their criticism of this offense because it's it's Sam Howell. He's at the end of the day, we could we could talk about the criticism about him. Um, I kind of mentioned this on the message board earlier, where it's like any criticism on Sam Howell should be prefaced with he's still the most talented quarterback to ever come through Chapel Hill. There isn't a quarterback I would rather have leading North Carolina right now than Sam Correct. Howell. Correct. And you have a chance to win every time he's out there. Every every time. Every every play has a chance to break when he's the one dishing the dishing the, the ball. Exactly. And I think that's why people wind up being so harsh with the offensive criticism because they they do see the potential and that this team like you mentioned, they they have the chance to win every time he's out there. EJ, the player that probably deserves the most recognition after Saturday, you mentioned him. It's Cam Kelly. He turned in, without question, his best performance as a Tar Heel. Team high, seven tackles, a great interception. How about this? The the highest graded performance from a Power 5 safety this week in college football, Cam Kelly. I thought that the biggest thing with Kelly, too, was he he had a missed tackle on um, Duke's lone touchdown, and he responded in a, a huge way with the interception, uh, a bunch of critical tackles to get this team off the field. What did you kind of see from Kelly that maybe you haven't seen in weeks prior? Confidence, man. It just really seemed like he came out and he played confidence. He was very sure of his assignments. He was very sure of his abilities, and which then made him sure of himself. Uh, we saw him out last year um, when he was put in, kind of thrust into a position where he almost had to be almost kind of like a savior on defense, and he looked kind of nervous, like he couldn't I, – I don't want to say he couldn't handle the pressure of that, but that pressure, it was unexpected pressure that he didn't have a chance to get himself ready for. So I think now he's he, he kind of took that lesson and – knowing that he needs to be prepared and prepare like a starter and prepare like a high caliber college uh, football player. And we're kind of seeing the benefits of that. I mean, that play that he made, that, that that's something that you just don't see every day to be in a great position to be able to deflect the ball to yourself and then, and then intercept it. I mean, that's, that's big time football, college NFL, no matter what level you're on, that is a big time football play. And I think this guy has just, he, he's been watching film. He's been listening to the coach and, and he learns and his, he learns from his mistakes and he's not hard on himself. 
from what him him missing that tackle and then bouncing back the way he did tells me that last year when he was making some of these plays that he wasn't able to bounce back he was kind of spiraling out and being hard on himself and, and kind of focusing on that play instead of moving on and having that one play mentality but but yesterday we, we saw a completely different player and I know a couple of weeks ago that's one of the things that we were talking about we're not seeing the development from these players we're not seeing them come along and kind of um, do something better something that was a struggle for them last year they're not uh, kind of converting that into one of their strengths but I, I really saw that from him I mean that, that's the only thing I really think it could be because he looked like the same player he doesn't look any bigger faster stronger than he was so it has to be the mental aspect of it and I think a lot of people outside of the game don't really understand when, when we say football is 90% mental 10% physical that's the God honest truth that that 10% physical is, is pretty daggone important but the, the, the mental part can, can help you overcome and help you be a more savvy player and, and Mike can tell you on the offensive line there are a lot of guys out there who may not be the best athletes but they have it so down packed between their ears that they, they make themselves a great player. And I think Cam Kelly's going to be one of those guys. I mean, you, you just saw him all around the field. And I mean, not just in the passing game, he was making very solid form tackles. I mean, hitting people straight in the midsection and they were going backwards on their tackles. Like the, that's what was really encouraging to me. I mean, everything just looked so solid. Like it was a completely di different defensive team. Which then also brings me to the fact it's like we played so much better than we have before that it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, is this just a team playing better? It's like this is a completely different defense. It's like we went and found some more scholarship, some more scholarship caliber athletes around campus and say, hey, come on, come in and suit up for us on Saturday. I mean, that that really was the night and day that we're seeing from our defensive unit and from some of our players. But I'm just hoping that that this is a positive trend and we start to get some of this consistency because we're going to need guys like Cam Kelly, like Biggers, like to be able to fill in for these spots so we can take our weapon, who is Jaquarius Conley, and move him around like what we saw this weekend. So I'm very happy from what I saw from him and just, just happy that that guy's taking the steps to, to really kind of hone down on the mental part of the game and be the player that we expected him to be when um, he came to, came to Chapel Hill. Yeah, Um when, when you look at Cam Kelly, that's the player yesterday that I think Carolina thought they would be getting. Now, he's battled injuries, but that's the player that Carolina thought they would be getting when he did transfer from Auburn. And Carolina, single-digit missed tackles yesterday. Set, I mean, uh, Saturday, whenever people are listening to it. Um, seven missed tackles as a team. And sometimes Mac Brown said it, said it best, like, making an open field tackle – it's hard. And a lot of the, a lot of these players have make you miss ability. Like the, the Georgia tech quarterback last week, um, Sims, the, the Duke team, they're not as talented, but you know, seven missed tackles is still seven missed tackles. And I think if Carolina can stay in that single digit missed tackles, um, the way Jay Bateman kind of schemes this defense and he's constantly putting people in the right position to make plays. If, if this can become a single digit missed tackles team week in week out um, when you, when you do have an uptick in talent going up against you, this defense does have the potential to be a, a top 30 defense where, where we were kind of expecting Carolina to maybe make that leap. It's, it's starting to look like a defense that is putting it together. Um, Mike, going back to offense, the the one thing I think that surprised me the most is that all offseason we kind of heard about Ty Chandler's ability as a receiver in the passing game and how 
him in the passing game would be this weapon for Carolina. You saw that on display Saturday where he takes a wheel route 75 yards for the touchdown, but he still only has five catches through five games. If you're Carolina, is there anything you could do specifically to get him featured more in the passing game to open up the offense? Because it feels like from the outside looking in, he should be a guy who's getting targeted at least five times a game, especially when Carolina can't run. And, you know, the swing passes are are just as good as uh, an outside zone type of run play. Yeah, I mean, that's number one. That's the quickest way to get him involved is you start bubbling him out, have him run on zombie screens and and swing routes and things like that. So you have him you, you can run him that way, which is like you pointed out, an extension of the running game you know, those little, those little bubble passes and whatnot. Um, you can also run two back sets with, um, you know, with him and, and one of the other backs we have, uh, which brings a, a separate point. I don't, if you have an update on Earl Hood's kid, Caleb Hood, I'd love to hear it. I don't know. He was. Yeah, he's still out. I could get the, uh, while you're making your, your point, I could uh, check for an official um, what it was from Greg. Yeah, we'll get we'll edit we'll edit this back, but yeah. So I mean, you can you can bubble him out. And that's one way to get him involved. I mean, that's an extension of the running game, uh, just like you pointed out. So we can do that. Uh, you know, we can also get better at the screen game. We can, we can uh, we can either figure out how to run screens or never run another screen again. But what we're doing right now is not working. Uh, the offensive line doesn't have the timing down on when to release those defensive linemen in the screen, uh, and we're not creating the passing lanes in order to get the ball to the screen back so that he can catch it and take up, you know, take off up the field and actually make the play work. Uh, so the timing is way off on those screens. So we can either keep working on those, make them better uh, and actually get that timing and that cohesion down and get the screen game going. That's another quick way to get him involved. Uh, or we could just abandon it altogether and replace it with, you know, some two back sets where he's the receiving back. And then we have a standard, you know, typical back lined up in the backfield. Uh, and we run the RPO that way. And we just use him as another receiver to create mismatches with linebackers um, you know, or create mismatches with maybe a dropping defensive end or somebody who's not used to being in coverage. And we use them that way, kind of like another tight end, you know, or as a replacement for a tight end with, you know, a little more speed, a little more wiggle, you know, we can do that. So th- those are the ways you can get him involved, but I think you're right. We need to get him involved more. Um, he looked like a receiver. When, I mean, when he caught that wheel route, he took off, you know, the way he tucks the ball, obviously he's used to handling the football from being the running back, but he caught the ball at the high point. Um, he, 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 his body positioning was, was correct. He wasn't off balance. He didn't look uncomfortable. It all looked very natural for him. Um, so that's a guy who is used to catching the football, who likes catching the football is comfortable catching the football. We need to get him in positions to do that. Five catches through five games is unacceptable. And I think two of them were yesterday. Yep. He had the wheel route and he had another, um, you know, he had, he had another just little in route, um, an arrow route that, you know, I think may have gone for a first down or maybe it was a, you know, brought us to a third and one, but yeah. you know, it was another, it was an effective pass play that he was involved in as the receiver. So yes, we need to get him more involved. I think that will expand the offense more. And with a guy like him, with his athleticism, with his wiggle, with his footwork, um, that creates a mismatch opportunity on the outside that could be highly effective in the pass game. Yeah. And the official diagnosis from UNC before yesterday, um, this is from, Greg Barnes' pregame scoop on the premium message board was running back Caleb Hood upper and cornerback Storm Duck lower officially out for the uh, the Duke game. So besides yeah. an upper injury, it's, it's something that's been keeping him out for the past two games. Um, 
EJ, one of the, the biggest indicators for a defense's success is the third down defense. And UNC held Duke to two of 15 on third down attempts, just 13% for the Blue Devils converting on third down. What does that do for a defense's confidence when you can win consi- so consistently on third down and get off the field and put your offense back on back out on the field and it gives you a chance to kind of regroup and maybe give this offense a little bit more confidence that the defense is coming up with stops. I think it's the equivalent of the confidence boost is the equivalent of offense being able to run the ball in the fourth down in in a four minute situation. When you know that this is what we need to do to really control the game. I mean, it's a, it's a big shot of adrenaline in the arm knowing that we can go out here and we can try some of these. Cause all week we we have, we'll start off the week with install and we have these crazy exotic pressures that we're going to put in for third down, which, which motivates us on first and second down. So being able to have that is knowing that you're going to be able to do some of these fun, other fun things outside of the fun you're already haven't planned but some of these more creative things I mean for me it was um, me being able to stand up and be a pseudo um, linebacker where I had no business playing (laughs) in kind of our three four defense so that's what third down allows you to do and allows you to just be consistent it allows you to really have that ebb and flow I feel like with your offense and even though our offense was kind of had that string where we were punting seven out of 10 drives. If we weren't shutting these guys down on third down and getting them the ball back, this game may not be a victory because our offense wouldn't have the opportunity to really get into a, get into a rhythm, get into, into their game plan and get into what they're good at doing. Kind of like what some of the things you guys were just talking about, getting Ty Chandler the ball in the passing game, trying to move the pocket a little bit, trying to do some of these more, going to the quick passing game, which allowed us to really move the ball down the field. So I think that, I mean, it affects more than the confidence of the defense. It goes to the the confidence is the team as a whole because they know that even if we're down in the situation if our defense is able to do this we can then start to see how many more times we think we're going to touch the ball if we're down by 14 with eight minutes left in the game if our defense is getting through three and outs consistently we have the numbers that we had yesterday and honestly have been having over the last couple of weeks then you know okay maybe we we, we can go for a field goal we don't have to press as much this time or we need to save our our um, timeouts for later on in the game so i think it allows for a lot more efficient uh game management on the offensive side on the defensive side I mean you just have guys out there flying around you can get your guys like Des Evans and some of these um high caliber athletes uh your Kimon Ruckers your your Javari Ritzies your uh, Rara Dilworth your you've seen Eugene Asante all these high caliber high speed fast sideline to sideline guys we have the real benefit is having them on third down and I think we really saw that yeah yeah we had five sacks but I think that the 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 pass rush and the pressure we were able to apply to them on every down and especially on third down really made our homework uncomfortable all day yesterday. And you add that with the way we were playing defense on the outside with locking their receivers down to man coverage and press coverage, it really frustrated them and didn't allow them to really get anything going on offense. So, I mean, it really just radiates to everything, every other aspect of the game. And I mean, you, you think about the spe- the the the. the punt return opportunities we have. I mean, I think we have one of the most electric guys in the country in Josh Down. So if we're stopping these guys on third down, that's more opportunities to get the balls and ball in the hand of our playmakers. So, I mean, I, I think third, I think stopping the run and third down efficiency are two of the most really important stats of a defense. And like you said, it really kind of tells the story of how the defense played that day. And I think other than what the, the big yards we gave 
in the first half, we did play a pretty good game against the run yesterday, and then we really kind of put it all together. So hopefully we can learn from this film and kind of replicate all of the effort that we put into this. And I mean, kind of the game plan and scheme that we had, because I think with the personnel that we have, it works. We just need to have the same kind of performance from some of the guys that we highlighted, the Cam Kellys, the Miles Murphy, the continued play of guys like Jeremiah Gimmel, Jaquarius Conley, and uh, Ravel Hasek. As long as we're getting our consistency from those guys, and then we have some of these younger guys coming up making plays, I really think that yesterday's game could be a turning point for our defense. It just, we just have to be consistent and keep up that level of play. EJ mentioned it earlier, Mike, but the, the leap miles Murphy has made from year one to year two, he's, he's put himself into the conversation of is, is he the best player on this team? And if it's not miles Murphy, it's Josh downs. He goes for eight catches, 168 yards and a touchdown. Through five games now, he has 620 yards and six touchdowns. Your former teammate, Hakeem Nix, in 2008, set the single-season school records at 1,222 receiving yards and 12 touchdowns. Are we officially on record watch here? Bolitnikoff, what are we talking about when it comes to Josh Downs, Mike? Well, let's go ahead and make the caveat that Miles Murphy or Josh Downs is the best player on the team not named Sam Howell. Let's, yeah. go, ahead and, let's go ahead and clarify <laughs> that. Because uh, Sam Howell is the entire offense. If one player is your entire side of the ball. He needs, he deserves the credit that uh, that he certainly has coming to him. I think that you're right. I think we probably are on record watch, and we're going to continue to be on record watch in a Phil Longo offense for any offensive records. You got to remember. I mean, under under Coach Shoop and Butch Davis, we ran a traditional pro style offense. The fact that Hakeem was able to put up those type of numbers back then, where everybody was running pro style offenses outside of Rich Rod at West Virginia and Michigan, um, you know, there weren't a lot of teams that were running these true spread offenses. Uh, Oregon had something similar with Chip Kelly, but um, for the most part, it was, it was pro style offenses everywhere. You know, you line up under center. Yeah. You're, you know, you've got a traditional one back or two back backfield, you know, and you're dropping back and you're, you know, you're making reads as you're dropping. There's none of this. It's not a lot of shotgun stuff. Now you've got these offenses that are putting up video game numbers. I think we are on you know, record watch for everybody in the country, but, you know, particularly here, you know, in Chapel Hill, I think Hakeem's record is probably in jeopardy, which I think Hakeem would tell you, and I want to speak for him, but, uh, you know, it probably bothers him a little bit, but he's also happy to see somebody break it because that means we're having success on offense. And, you know, the fact that that record has lasted for as long as it has, you know, it's time for it to break because what that means is that we're growing as a program and we're seeing success and, you know, we're, we're not relying on success from, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago. Um, so it's, it's good to see a guy like Josh Downs break through, you know, have the year that he's having because he's living up to the expectations from when he was recruited. Uh, but he's also proven himself to be a weapon in a receiving room where there's still some guys that are figuring things out. You know, Choffrey Brown, uh, Antoine Green, you know, we've got guys that are still kind of figuring it out. We don't have Bo Corrales on the field. That is your possession receiver. That's your reliable number two option. He's not there. We don't know if he's going to be there this season at all. Um, you know, he has certainly been missed in the offense. People forget how clutch of a receiver uh, he was, especially for yards after the catch. Uh, he was a great outside possession receiver for us, and he's just not there anymore. So it's nice to see a guy like Josh Downs who can sort of do it all. He's sort of a Swiss Army knife for us, uh, a Ryan Switzer type uh, with a little more wiggle. And it's nice to see that guy doing well, um, especially knowing that he's got at least one more year with us. That's nice. 
Uh, it's a nice, nice comfort to know whoever the quarterback is next year has got that guy to rely on. But it's also good to have him as that option. Well, again, while we bring other receivers along, knowing that we can get it to Josh, we're probably going to get positive yards, may even go for a touchdown. And these other guys, the pressure doesn't have to be on them. They can just focus on getting more confident. They can focus on, you know, their individual assignments and developing, um, you know, and Josh will pick up the slack so long as we're able to keep him healthy and so long as we're able to keep Sam healthy, you know, which is a whole different concern that I have right now, you know, whether or not we can actually keep Sam healthy for the whole season. Yeah, Josh Downs is averaging 15 and a half yards per catch, but now I can't stop thinking about what Hakeem Nix would look like in a modern college football offense and the possibilities there. So it would be scary, you think? Well, uh, <laughs> think of that receiving core we had back then. We had Hakeem, we had Brandon Tate, we had Brooks Foster. Those three guys in this system, you know, especially a guy like Brandon Tate. Brandon Tate was Josh Downs long before Josh Downs existed. People forget there was a, there was a Tate for Heisman campaign before Notre Dame blew his knee out on that punt return. Um, so, you know, those, those guys in this offense might be, might be pretty scary. <laughs> EJ, we'll go to you first. You've been, you know, nothing but radiating positivity, positivity <laughs> today, but how are you going to conclude your podcast today with the, everybody's favorite segment? Say something nice. Uh, today for say something nice what I will say is that um, we brought the physicality yesterday we set the tempo and of course you're going to see guys kind of play a little bit above and beyond their abilities for a rivalry game but the way that it happened yesterday I mean we played with a chip on our shoulder we played nasty nasty but but clean football yesterday you saw Jerry you saw guys like in, uh, in the air being slammed you saw Jeremiah Gimmel almost take a guy's head off I mean you saw all this stuff yesterday and that's really what you want to see you want to see a little bit of the Carolina style mixed with a little bit from the U from the late 80s and early 90s where some of those guys were, were out there just ripping people's heads off that's what you really want to see you want to see you take a guy's heads off head off and maybe help him up and I really think we saw that yesterday everything was clean but there was definitely no there was no question about who was the more, most physical and more dominating team uh, on the defensive side yesterday. So I definitely think that, I mean, even if we don't do everything well as we did yesterday, if we bring that physicality, things are going to go our way a lot more um, for the remainder of the season. Mike, what about you? What, what are you uh, finishing the podcast with? Say something nice. Um, we've got two tight ends that I think can be integral to the passing game and to the run game as blockers, uh, Garrett Walson and Kamari Morales. And we need to make sure they're both getting involved more and more, uh, not just in short yard situations, but, you know, out in the middle of the field. I think both of them have shown a capability as a receiver. Garrett Walson has obviously had his, uh, you know, he's had, he's had some dropsies this year, but he's also had some big catches. And for the last, past several years, he's been, a, he's been a guy who, if you throw the ball to him, chances are he's going to catch it. Chances are you're going to get positive yards. He's also a great blocker. Morales is coming along as a blocker. Uh, but as a receiver, I think he's a real, a real threat and a real weapon for us. I hope we're able to get those two guys involved more. But again, say something nice, number two. We're 1-0. Um, you know, they should feel good going on the Florida State game. It's a down Florida State program. They are going to be looking for a win, but we are at home and we're undefeated at home. So uh, I'll be up there for the game. I know EJ is going to be coming with me. we got some guys coming back. It should be should be a fun weekend. Yeah, I'm going to have two for the say something nice as well. Um, but first, I just wanted to mention Kamara Morales inside the red zone is starting to look like a real threat. And you pair him with somebody like Garrett Waltz and um, it, it just provides you so many more options when you get in the red zone and getting creative. Uh, my first say something nice is the I think it was a third and one 
when Carolina got under center for the first time in yeah. who knows how long and played some and it, big- and it was effective. <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> they played some big boy football and I don't remember the exact how the formation lined up, but it almost if my memory is right, it felt like Chandler was almost where like a fullback would be. I think they might have had two backs and just a quick little handoff. You need one yard. It gets you two, three yards with a good push. Um, it's, it's a situation you'd like to maybe have back in from the Georgia Tech game and go under center and not put yourself five, six yards. I think that's a, a, a fair criticism from fans when uh, a team needs one yard and you're you're on um, in, in the, the ball shotgun. starts the ball starts six yards in the negative in the, yeah in the shotgun it's uh it's one thing that for uh, a sport that keeps evolving doesn't really make the most sense why teams do that and if a team like Carolina can play big boy football when they need one yard line up under center and get get those tough yards it's it's something where um Again, you're just opening up a lot of possibilities and you're keeping the offense on the field, name of the game in football, keep your defense on the field as little as possible, keep your offense out there as long as possible, score points. And then the other say something nice, I'm not going from a football perspective, but um, just the atmosphere in Keenan Stadium, it's, it's, uh, and more specifically, the student section, when the student section is sold out every game, it's it's almost an unrecognizable atmosphere from when I was at Carolina from 2012 to 2016, where even the last year we were I, we were undefeated at home. We were beating teams by 20, 30 plus every every week in Keenan Stadium. And it still felt like we had to beg people to come out to our games. This this student section um, with Mac Brown, you're starting to see the buy-in factor um, towards becoming a a school that takes football serious. And when you when you have a, a student section that gets packed like that every week, it's something where it's like, could Carolina maybe expand the student section and get even more students in there somehow and make it even more of a tough atmosphere to play? But I think the student section and the students in general for Carolina deserve a ton of credit along with the team for, you know, it, it would have been easy to give up on the team after they lose to Georgia Tech, but to still come out Chapel Hill, 12 o'clock on, on a Saturday, n- no better place to be as a student before getting the night started but when was the last noon kickoff we had against duke by the way was it 2000 was it 04 05 brian chacos mm-hmm. it was, was around that, that time yeah it, it was around be. that time because i remember that game we played them um in 2006 and it was like we won by like one point that was a that was a noon game. that was thanksgiving noon that's the one i'm thinking of yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that was a thanksgiving kickoff that was a noon kick i was mm-hmm. at the i think that might have been the last noon kickoff against duke Mm-hmm. It sounds right. I'm not going to. Well, I mean, when you lose at Georgia Tech and you get blown out on the road and you're supposed to be a top 25 team, that's what happens. You start getting noon kickoffs. I've had people ask me from out of town, Scott Mincy, if he's listening. Uh, Scott Mincy's been trying to figure out can he or cannot, can he cannot come to the Florida State game because his flight from Texas won't get in until afternoon. I'm like, well, you know, it'll <laughs> either be a 3.30 kick or it's going to be a noon kick. We're not getting a nighttime kickoff yeah. with these guys. So, you know, if we it's beat Duke, probably 3.30 if you want to update him. 
It it is it is officially three thirty. Yeah, officially. Yeah, and if we lo- and if we lost this game, it was going to be a noon kickoff. <laughs> promise you, hundred mm-hmm. percent. But that's all we Scott, got. If you're this- listening, it's at three thirty. I'll, I'll see you on Saturday. <laughs> that's all we got this week. The homestand continues for Carolina as UNC's back in action on Saturday from Keenan Stadium against a one and four FSU team that's coming off a huge win against Syracuse where they're celebrating like they won a, a national championship out there. Tariel's trying to get some revenge for last year, Three thirty kickoff. Like we just mentioned, we'll be back next week to break it down. Mike Ingersoll, EJ Wilson guys. Thanks for the time. Oh. Thanks guys. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.